The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the original series episode, A Taste of Armageddon. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to stick around to the end of the show. We've got lots of listener feedback. And folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and uh, be sure to leave us comments wherever you find us. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Middle Earth. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Middle Earth. So, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of this episode of Those Old Scientists? This week, Captain Kirk and the gang rock on up to a planet named Aminiar 7 to establish diplomatic relations. But they receive a message telling them to stay away. Kirk wants to take that message seriously, but Ambassador Robert Fox, the Federation's guest idiot of the week, is there to insist that he go ahead and make contact. When Kirk and a landing party beam down, they discover the Amenians have been at war for 500 years with Vindicar, another planet in their solar system and not a snack machine company. But the war is fought purely by computers that launch simulated attacks, and those designated casualties have 24 hours to report to suicide chambers. This has so sanitized the war that the two planets have had no reason to end it after all these centuries. To create a direct threat to our characters, a simulated attack is made on the Enterprise, and everyone on board is declared a casualty. The Aminians uh, try to trick the crew down to the surface. They also try to hurt the ship with sonic disruptors through the vacuum of space. (laughs) But the shields hold, and Scotty refuses to take the shields down. Ambassador Fox idiotically beams down to negotiate and is promptly escorted to a suicide booth. So he quickly learns his lesson and becomes a positive character. Meanwhile, Kirk and the gang have been destroying suicide booths and causing problems for the Amenians. Eventually, Kirk makes contact with the Enterprise and orders Scotty to kill everyone on the planet and render it uninhabitable in two hours' time. Scotty agrees to do so. And it's not a trick. Uh, Then, Kirk and Spock manage to destroy the computers that the Amenians use to wage war, forcing them to look a real war with the Vindicarians in the face. Kirk suggests that they negotiate peace with with Vindicar instead. Ambassador Fox offers to stay and help the negotiations, and soon he reports that negotiations are underway with the prospect of peace looking hopeful. The end. Mm -hmm. Father Gore, your overall impressions? Well, this wasn't too bad. I mean, this is, I almost get the feeling that this is where the creators of war games, the movie war games got their idea. I mean, there's Mm. certain things that seem very similar, except for this is real where, okay, computer says you're dead. So you're dead. We, we, (laughs) we, we destroy you. Um, it wasn't bad. I mean, it was, um, little dull at points, but it was, it was a good good episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, Jimmy, how about you? Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was fine for early Trek. It's kind of a Twilight Zone episode where you take an 
a premise that, you know, could sound logical and carry it to an extreme and then have our characters come in and smash it all up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, um, you know, a, a continuation of the uh, the trope or stereotype that Kirk likes to destroy civilization controlling computers. Last time we talked about a, a an original series episode was Return of the Archons, which Kirk also destroyed the civilization controlling computer. Um, and that... That wasn't how they aired. There was space seed was in between those two, uh, but it was still pretty close mm-hmm. <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in time that they did it. It's interesting that they decided to do these two episodes, these well, two stories, so close. It, it, that shows you how they're getting desperate towards the end of season one for scripts because yeah. they actually really did try things and would say things in script development like we just did that recently. We don't want to do the exact same thing again, right? And and here they they. That's probably why they put Space Seed in between them, to create mm-hmm. a little bit more distance between the two planet-running computer Kirk-destroys-them plots. Right, because were, these were produced back to—we're doing production order, so mm-hmm. uh, you know, Return of the Archons and Taste of Armageddon were produced one after the other. I, and you're, you're right, that's probably why they put Space Seed in there, like, let's get a little <laughs> break from that and have a megalomaniac instead. Um, the, I, I, kinda, I really like Kirk's— um, attitude through most of it not the genocidal aspect but the like he's got this you know bureaucrat who who's giving him orders and he 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 realizes his hands are tied and he's you know at one point he says we're going in gentlemen peacefully i hope but peacefully or not we're going in you know and it's just this very um you know uh almost fatalistic attitude but he's gonna do his job and I, i really like like that about kirk well, even at the even at the end when you know he destroys the computer and you know it seems like he's trying to be genocidal, he's he's kind of basically playing a, a calculated bluff because mm-hmm. he knows he's got the ambassador there who, of course, is going to jump in and want to mediate a deal. Right, and he he recognizes that probably both sides are thinking the same thing here. If we actually have to go to real war, neither of us want it. Right, so he's kind right. of playing a calculated bluff there, and of course, it pays off at the end. Mm. Just an odd observation. The actor who plays Ambassador Fox has the baggiest eyes I've ever seen on <laughs> yeah. a human being. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if he wasn't guest idiot of the week, this you know from Starfleet, we wouldn't have had the first use of the term United Federation of Planets, which we have in this episode. Yes, that is true. That is the fir- This is the first uh, re- reference to that. Uh, he also refers to Federation Central, which I think is supposed to be would within the future be the Federation Council. That's that would be like interchangeable. That, yeah. Um, he also, in the, as you mentioned, in the first half of this, he has basically a single emotion, arrogance, and a single defining feature, stupidity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. like, uh, and, but he does get the, the opportunity to redeem himself later on, uh, so that's good. Unlike some, uh, I mean, he actually, he not only redeems himself in terms of coming to recognize the truth of the situation, he plays a constructive role. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, he's a useful character by the end, whereas a lot of guest idiots stay idiots and sometimes die <laughs> yeah and if even if they do get shamed into recognizing the truth they don't go on to make a useful contribution mm. right yeah he realizes when you know he's captured and they're they're dragging him to the interrogation or the uh destruction booth, yeah. disintegration chamber uh he has a real change of heart he realizes well maybe this captain <laughs> kirk guy ain't so bad after all yeah and he yeah. knows what he's doing <laughs> and, and so he meets up with spock shortly after that and spock's talking to him about it and he says i've never been a soldier mr spock but i learned very quickly like, <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> 
it is an effective scene where they're trying yeah. to shove him into the disintegration chamber. Yeah. And he's objecting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Strenuously. He does get his aide killed uh, in the process. I know. Yeah, yeah. As they're going through corridors, having a gun battle, his aide, who doesn't even have any lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah gets zapped and they just leave him there to die in the corridor. Yep, <laughs> he just, just kind of crumples in a corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I have to say Kirk is Kirk in this one in the, when they first beam down, like they, I love the, the seat, the, the set where they beam down is like in this outdoor and there's this like wall behind them, this sort of textured mm-hmm. wall. And everybody is fascinated by this wall when they beam in, like the actors yeah. just don't know what they're supposed to be doing until the uh, Armenians show up. And so they like, yeah. they, they turn and stare at the wall. I just think that's hysterical. Uh, but then Kirk turns and sees, sees Mia, the, the, the female mm-hmm. guest character walk up and, Shatner's expression here is great. He just kind of like does, you could hear like in your head, hubba hubba. <laughs> yeah. It's like a total Kirk going on there. I thought it was, it was hysterical. I, th- I, I would have missed that when I was a kid, but watching it now, yeah, that is, yep. that is pretty funny. By, by the uh, way, uh, Mia was played by Barbara Babcock, who's probably most well known for uh, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, mm-hmm. oh, but she was also on Hill Street Blues. Right. She did several guest spots in, uh, in, the original series. She, this is not her mm-hmm. first yep. or last. Um, she but, was 29 in this. I like to look up their ages. People in mm-hmm. the past looked older <laughs> than, mm-hmm. they, do, than yeah. they do now. Uh, so just kind of wild. Um, so the, the, they have this computer war. And uh, Anan, who leads the, uh, the the council of the... I kept wanting to call them Armenians, but it's Armenians. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> He says one to three million civilians die each year in this war with Vendikar, this third planet in the system, which is a former colony. Uh, So it's just like a Mars Earth war in a a sense. Mm -hmm. And so one to three million are being shoved into these disintegration chambers every year. And and it's been going on for 500 years. So that's a billion people. Mm -hmm. Right. And in this one attack that happens in this episode, half a million people. So like... Like half of a year's that like this is a major attack that mm-hmm. quote unquote attack that happens here. It's it's kind of wild to think about. Like you can see, and Spock points out there is a kind of logic in this. Like, mm-hmm. sure, you know you're going to have a war, but war is so destructive. You lose civilization. You lose you know uh, you know infrastructure. This is much more uh, a civilized way of having a war, um, but you, there's still a real cost to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Th- this is something that has been explored elsewhere and actually in human history, not with computers because we didn't have those before now. But mm-hmm. there have been ways of like, how can we have a con? How can we resolve a war in a way that is less bloody? And right. one of the classic ways of doing that is war by champion. And then mm-hmm. this has been done in uh, in science fiction. For example, there's a um, there's a mo- television movie from the night from the early to mid 1970s called The Love War, where <laughs> you have this alien, two alien races are fighting, and they each have like chosen a champion to come down to Earth and fight on their behalf. And the alien from the good civilization is like falling in love with this human woman. And at the end of the movie, she totally stabs him in the back. She's actually an extra enemy champion that they snuck in and are cheating. 
Um, <laughs> but you see this in real life in human history as well. Uh, that's what's going on in the David and Goliath situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. You've got the Israelites and the Philistines, and they're like, do we really need to kill everybody? Let's just both send a champion, and whoever's champion wins becomes the the winner of the war, and the others have to serve us, whoever's mm-hmm. champion loses. Japan had this with samurai. They would often have battles where the champions would go out and meet each other and you know determine the, the outcome because you know why get lots of people killed <laughs> just yep. yeah. uh, have our champions meet and uh, and I can appreciate what they're trying to do with their computer war, but it 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 does it is going to have the effect that that uh, that it, it, they run the risk they're going to so sanitize the war they're going to have no impulse to end it. And more people will die as a result of it going on longer. Right. And unfortunately, you know, the although you might might be able to scare people who really hate each other and have been at war for five hundred years into a peace, that's not a guaranteed outcome. Even mm-hmm. because you know what a lot of groups do is they call temporary ceasefires. So we just had an outside agency come in and disrupt our war that we've been pursuing for 500 years and we're both extremely committed to. Let's arrange a temporary ceasefire until we can rebuild our computer systems and get that back online. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's entirely possible that would that would come about. I mean, that's what Fox's job is there, right, to, after that, is to ensure that the temporary ceasefire becomes a permanent ceasefire. And, because what the, we never get told what the issues are that that are at stake in the war mm-hmm. um is and do they even remember after 500 years are the, are those original well, factors even at play and they did say that the other planet was a colony of this planet that vendicar mm-hmm. was a colony um that then rebelled against its original home planet right. so if anything it, you know, you could call it a civil war or war uh, of independence yeah war yeah. of independence and at this right and again after 500 years that's probably a pretty settled you know civilization of its own that yeah. you know wouldn't you wouldn't want to reintegrate anyway i mean we've been independent from britain for 250 years i mean that's as you know half that time and you know no they're just we, you know they're just waiting their time <laughs> they're very polite <laughs> out there but yeah they're just waiting for us to to not pay attention and bam you got a king again um but it is. I don't know. Like, Depending on some of the politicians, I'd almost rather have a king again. But <laughs> I'm not trying. I'm not going to get into that one. But no. wait until you yeah, see yeah. the British politicians. Yeah, yeah I, I know. Not sure I prefer <laughs> the British ones. Uh, so, uh, but they. It's an interesting aspect where they value the civilization itself, the mm-hmm. the buildings, the infrastructure, but also the you know the um, uh, art and culture more than individual life, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a very uh it's it's very foreign to our way of thinking um here like in the judeo christian western way of thinking yeah also you know think about the, the the level of transparency that would be involved in fighting a war of this nature where they mm-hmm. have to they'd have to give people you know exact population counts and identity marker numbers for everybody and they'd have to give them the plans to their buildings so they could calculate damage and who would die in in mm-hmm. which building collapse in the simulated attack and stuff like that based on where they were at the time. It's like, this is an amazing amount of transparency. Also, clearly very foreign to our American history with war, which, is, you know, because they had not this, but something in this direction back in the late 1700s. 
where you would draw up firing lines and march your firing line at each other and let mm. them start firing at each other. And Americans are like, let's hide in the woods and kill the other side as effectively as possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so there's no cheating going on in this mm. war. Yeah, right. Uh, David Gerald, the, uh, he was one of the scriptwriters for Star Trek, not this story, but uh, other ones. But he said that uh, the whole like numbers, the, the 500,000, the calculation of the numbers, was a, a, a sort of a sideways reference to Vietnam, the Vietnam yeah. War, and the body counts that would be on the nightly news, mm-hmm. which was a new phenomenon for, you know, war in mm-hmm. yep. the American experience of war. Um, so, uh, you know, that if you look at the context in which this episode would have aired, that's the context, that Vietnam War on the nightly news yep. uh, context. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one character I think that's interesting in this is Anon Seven. He's mm-hmm. the, the head of the of the of the Armenian Council, and he is morally interesting because, in a way, he's kind of like Claudius from Hamlet, Mm. because Claudius in Hamlet is a morally complex character. I mean, yes, he killed the king and, and took the king's wife for himself, so he did bad things, but he also, like, prays to God and is torn by what he's done and stuff. And there's this moment where Hamlet sees Claudius praying. You know, Claudius is Hamlet's uncle. And he sees Claudius praying, and he's like, oh, I so want to kill him, and I could do it right now. But if I kill him right now, he might go to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is like the coldest thing ever. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm going to wait to kill my uncle until I'm sure he's going to go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, which doesn't really say great things about Hamlet's moral state. No. <laughs> this isn't love your, love your neighbor. <laughs> um, but Anon Seven in this is, uh, he's got moral principles. He's committed to this war system as a way of avoiding what in his mind is even worse. And he accuses Kirk of being a monster. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the word he uses. He says, you're a monster. Because you're putting your 500 people or 400 people up on your ship against the populations of two planets, mm-hmm. you know, and he's even said he's going to exterminate one of those planetary populations for the sake of his 400 people. That's monstrous. And he's right. It is monstrous. Mm-hmm. But he also, earlier on, is debating, like when after he's got Kirk and the gang, who are not fatalities, the landing party is not mm-hmm. declared dead. They're mm-hmm. just hostages. But after he's taken him hostage, he's like going to make, he's going to phone the Enterprise and talk to them. And he's having this debate with himself about what should I do? Should I just be straightforwardly honest or would being deceptive save more lives in the end? And he's having these moral calculations. I find it very interesting, even though he's on Mm. the wrong side of things. I like the fact that Anand Seven is a morally complex character who's sincerely trying to wrestle. Now, he always makes the wrong decision. Yeah. Yes. But at least he's trying to reason his way through these moral questions. Yeah. He does say uh, to Kirk to, that you refer, you refer to it, you know, um, you're a kill, uh, we're a killer first, a builder second, a hunter, a warrior, and let's be honest, a murderer. He's talking about human nature. Mm-hmm. That is our joint heritage, is it not? 
and and it's interesting like he thinks that you know this is human humanity at its core we're killers and that's the premise for the need for this neat and murderous war machine because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. otherwise it'll it'll be worse if we don't do it the clean way right, right. man is essentially evil and that's that's wrong. I mean, man is not mm-hmm. essentially evil. We are broken. Well, <laughs> his broken his, nature. His, his spi- species might be. I don't know. You know, right? They're not I mean, human. Yeah. Right. Well, right. That these the Star well, Trek and, and thing. The, the response about about you know that we're all killers. You know, I, I love that. Was it from Kirk? Where we're killers, but we're not going to kill today. Yeah. You know, making yes. that choice. Right. Later on, uh, after Kirk destroys the computers, he he, he says, uh, "You know, you're a mo- you know you're a monster." He says. Yeah, and Kirk says, I'm a bar- barbarian. You said so yourself. <laughs> the smirk he yeah. gives. He gives a little smirk. I'm a barbarian. Uh, that was that was really good. But he's forcing him to face the horrors of war. You've mm-hmm. you've had your your hands clean of war, of the of the real cost of war. I mean, you you experience some cost of it. You everyone has lost someone they love, you know, and that sort of thing. Yeah, he but, lost Anon Seven lost his wife in the last attack. Yep. Yes, right. And uh, his aide, Mia, is about to be, you know, disintegrated. Uh, so they are experiencing a cost, but it's too neat. It's too rational. Well, and the fact they're using disintegration chambers, so there's not even, like, you know, the ashes to clean up or anything like that. There's nothing right. left. No bodies to bury, no buildings, to, you know, rubble of buildings, nothing. Um, and that's, yeah, that's... Um, and I did like that line, Father Corey, the, you know, all it takes is to say, we're not going to kill today. And, and there's a Christian analog to that. We're not going to sin today. You know, mm-hmm. war is not inevitable. Sin is not inevitable. It's just one day at a, one day at a time, like the 12 steps. Don't kill today. Don't sin today. Don't go to war today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. But today, focus on, on the morality of today. No. There is one character I like uh, that actually got a shine in the sun, and that's Scotty. Mm-hmm. I was just going to bring Scotty up. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Scotty, Scotty got to take command and got to basically tell the ambassador to go pound sand in his many words. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a story, actually. Scotty's, I don't know if you, if you saw mm-hmm. this, but Scotty's refusal to lower the shield against uh, the orders is based on an actual story from James Dewan's military service. Yep. So he was a lieutenant in the Royal Canadian uh, Artillery, um, which his, his unit at one point was the uh, 1701st Artillery Battalion, uh, 1701, which is really yeah. funny. Uh, he was threatened with court-martial for saying, for real, for saying, no, sir, I will not, to a visiting colonel when he realized a training exercise order would entail blowing the heads off some of his own men. Fortunately, his immediate superiors backed him up and, like Scotty, he was eventually promoted to captain. But at the time, it was like he was being ordered, and he's like, sir, if I follow this order, people are going to die. No, they aren't. You do it. And he refused. So, um, kind of funny analog here in the uh, James Dewan's real life. I, I, I did like his his phrase, though, when he's talking after the, you know, the ambassador goes storming off. Well, I'm going to do this anyways. Well, the Haggis is in the fire now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was a good line. Good Scotty line. So in addition to giving us the name United Federation of Planets for the first time, there's also some other world building that goes on in this episode of a technological nature. Scotty at one point, so the um, the Amenians start shooting at the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And 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 it, this is uh, I don't know why DeForest Research didn't make them fix this. Maybe they tried, and the <laughs> producers just wouldn't. But 
they say that they're under attack from extremely powerful sonic vibrations, 18 to the 12th power. Well, who uses a base 18 system? (laughs) (laughs) But setting that aside, how do sonic vibrations go through the vacuum of space? This thing's in orbit. Mm-hmm. Even if it's even if it's not in a total vacuum, they're not going to carry through the highly rarefied atmosphere. Yep. But setting that aside, they're talking on the bridge. They're talking about what they can do in response, and they say, "Well, we can't use full phasers through the screens." So mm-hmm. they've so at least in this episode, you can't you can use partial phaser power through screens, but not full phaser power. Mm-hmm. Which actually would make sense, mm-hmm. you know, at least in principle, if, if you know, the uh, the shields, as we have been told, as of the last Enterprise episode we reviewed, is a stable electromagnetic field. Well, the phasers are electromagnetic in nature, too. Mm-hmm. And so you could see why shields would block that. On the other hand, he says he could treat them to a full spread of photon torpedoes. Mm. I guess the torpedo would, even though... Photon torpedoes are also electromagnetic because photons are the particles, are the force carrying mm. particle for the electromagnetic force. They, I guess, the torpedo would go through the shield before detonating. Well, that's mm. the whole um, question. Are photon torpedoes just packets of energy or are they mechanical physical devices, which we've gone back and forth with in Star Trek? Yep. Well, <laughs> we've, what, seen, what actually... we've seen McCoy and Spock do surgery on one, and it was a mechanical device. Right. So, so, um, so maybe mechanical things can go through the shields. Yeah. But then, but Scotty is adamant, I'm not taking the shields down because that's what's stopping their, their sonic mm-hmm. vibrations. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, an, uh, Ambassador Idiot Fox beams down to the planet. Yep, and it's yep. like, Okay. Right through the shields. Right through the shields. <laughs> and this is this so I guess that hadn't been established at this point. But that's true. Uh, later on, that's the most significant thing about the shields is you can't beam through them. Right, right. Um I do like that Scotty also doesn't you know, doesn't fall for the uh the Kirk deep fake mm-hmm. from uh Anon yeah. seven. Uh he, he oh. gets it. Yeah, I like that. They he has the computer now in real life. I I would think we would have voice recognition software running constantly yeah. in the 23rd century to avoid deep fakes because they would be so easy. Well, <laughs> well even the idea of back then thinking of a deep fake, yeah. Yeah. the idea that they, you know, they could have a device where he's speaking and what you hear over the comms he's is Kirk. this other person's voice. And yeah. you could detect it. Yeah. yeah. And, that's and that, great. and I, and I like that. They, they, as soon as they get off the phone, Scotty's like, computer, run that through voice analysis. Is that really Kirk? And it's like 90% chance it's not. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, right. good points for that. Mm. Yep. Uh, Scotty also had a couple other good lines when Fox says, diplomacy gentlemen should be a job left to diplomats. And Scotty says, diplomats, the best diplomat I know is a fully activated phaser bank. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like, <laughs> you go, Scotty. <laughs> yeah. Um, and oh, then, hey, yep. you know you know what else? It just struck me is similar between this and Return of the Archons. So, like, they both involve a computer that's running a planet to its mm-hmm. detriment that Kirk destroys. But they also both begin with a mm-hmm. lost ship that mm-hmm. visited the planet in the past. Mm. Because the, the Archon visited Beta 3, like, 100 years ago and was lost. Hence, Return of the Archons. Yep. And in this, we're told that the starship USS Valiant 
mm-hmm. came here like a hundred fifty years ago. Yep. And and was never heard from again. And we find out on the planet that that's because it got declared a casualty. Right. So just like the arc, the the crew of 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 the USS Archon all got absorbed or killed. The crew of the Valiant all got <laughs> suicide boothed. Right. Yep. That's the implication. Is yeah. They or got blown out of orbit one way or the other. But yep, like yeah. when they refused to to beam down, uh, presumably they didn't have the shields that the Enterprise has now uh, to protect no, it. They, they, they polarized the whole plating and it didn't work. The whole plating. <laughs> 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 um, the uh, Spock also gets a few moments in this one. Uh, he's he gets to say, like I mentioned before, he he does say there's a certain kind of logic to the way the Armenians and the Vendicarians have set up the war. And Anand says, oh, I'm glad you agree. And he says, oh, no, logic does not, just because it's logical doesn't mean I approve, doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's the right thing to do, which is a nice moment to say that logic is not the same thing as morality. Uh, so right. I like to hear that from Spock. He he also does two things that were just memorable to me from childhood that I've always remembered mm-hmm. from this episode. One is he does a mind meld through a wall. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and, and consistent with you know, every other mind meld we see, he needs to be in physical contact with the person. And here he acknowledges that it may not work, but he's willing to try it. And it works. Yeah, um, yeah. He gets the guard that's guarding them to open the door. The other thing that he does that it's just a line, but it they walk up to a suicide booth. And Spock needs to distract one of the guards. And he reaches for the guy's <laughs> shoulder and says... Sir, there is a multi-legged creature crawling, crawling on your shoulder, <laughs> and, then he, gonna be, and, and then he nerve pinches him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was going to be my last line uh, as we as we departed because I love that line. Yeah, that's <laughs> a great fun. line. That's a good line. So this is funny. Where it's they're still Vulcanians, not Vulcans. Yeah, yeah Vulcanians. Yeah, it, Spock does the telepathy through a wall thing to get them out of a jail cell several times in the original series. Uh, did he? He did that on. Um, with Roger Corby's planet? No, no, it was someplace else. But another, he he does this a couple times in the series. It's a, it's a thing that they they establish. Um, this is the one I remember. I don't remember others. Yeah, this, at least this off the top like, of my head. Yeah, and this isn't like a full mind meld. This is more of just a mind influence. Right. Like this is one where he makes some, somebody think they hear a sound or something like that. Uh, I don't remember like you know, exactly what it is, but that's just my recollection. It really, Vulcans are Jedi. That's all it means. <laughs> that's what it is. Uh, Father Corey, any other notes on this one? Nothing here. I enjoyed J- it. Yep. Yep. Same here. Uh, Jimmy, how about you? Oh, I'm just looking down my list, seeing if there's anything else. Um, oh, there's another thing that Spock does that I like. At one point, so they've gotten a bunch of Emeniar uniforms so they can impersonate like police now. Mm-hmm. And and they're all heading out of the room, except they've got Maya Three, the Anon Seven's assistant, who's they've captured. They saved her from a suicide booth, and she's not particularly grateful. But they've got her in the whole in the room where they were holding them. They're back in this room on the principle that well, they won't look for us in the place we escaped from. It's like <laughs> that's not how prison works. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, they're all heading out to go cause mischief. And but they need someone to stay and and watch uh, Maya three so that mm-hmm. she won't just turn them in the minute right. they've they've gone on and they mm-hmm. they can't take her with her with them because she could disrupt their activities so they need someone to stay and hold her prisoner and so Spock assigns Yeoman Tamura 
the job to do this. And he tells Yeoman Tamura that she can knock down or sit on Maya 3 <laughs> if she needs to. And and this is a life or death situation, so she's also authorized to kill Maya 3. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Yeoman Tamura is like, yes, Mr. Spock. yep she's an officer yeah the soldier the the main thing though that i think that we haven't really commented on much but i think deserves a little more comment is the abominability of general order 24 right Mm. right yeah i mean really kirk can authorize the complete destruction of life on a planet i mean all of it because he says we're going to destroy the entire habitable surface of the planet. So that's all the living things on it. And he has the authority to do that without mm-hmm. consulting his superiors? And these are the people who have the prime directive? That is crazy. But was but was it a bluff? I mean, it doesn't say one way or the other. Oh, no, it does. It does. Um, Scotty reports 15 minutes later, I'm all ready to pull the trigger. Yeah. And, and 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 now and they never say afterwards this was a ruse. So we have right. to take unless we unless we get to just headcanon everything we see as a ruse, we've got to take this seriously. Mm-hmm. They Yeah, the, the the bluff here wasn't the general order itself. It was that Kirk was bluffing that he would be able to rescind it. You know, his bluff was that they will come to the table and he'll have the opportunity to rescind it. Because you look at that last scene where he's calling Scotty, you know, rescind this order. Yeah. And he's got the look. I mean, he almost collapses a relief type look. I guess this the same order is used again in uh, the Whom Gods Destroy episode mm-hmm. as well. It's issued there yeah. as a threat. Um, so, mm. yeah. And it's just this is a monstrous order. I mean, mm-hmm. They clearly had not thought out the Federation's ideology at this point, yeah. because I can't imagine people who have, I mean, just like the Prime Directive is not fully formed at this stage. I can't imagine the people who have the Prime Directive as their, you know, Prime Directive also having, oh, any any captain of a ship can can authorize the complete annihilation of life on a planet. Right. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, it 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 parallels the you know use of nuclear force, nuclear mm-hmm. weapons mm-hmm. that a captain of a, a nuclear you know ballistic nuclear submarine would have, um, because there are. I mean, we've had movies that explore this yeah. idea where you're out of contact, and if something were to happen, you were to lose c- contact with the national command authority. You have authority right. to retaliate, so that we you know it, it's a it's a um, um, retaliatory balance of power sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but notice the conditions on that. Only if you lose contact and cannot reestablish right. it. Mm. Can, in which case you can presume that a war has already begun. You're mm. not authorized to start one on your own. Right. And here it's just, wow, Kirk is going to genocide these. He's going to do a genocide here. Yep. Right. It's not... It's not a balanced response. I mean, you could. It's a response to the attack, but it's not a balanced response. I mean, you could have had told Scotty target all of the um, military infrastructure. You know, target military targets only. Or, mm-hmm. but this is hit everything. Just wipe yeah. the surface clean. Yeah. Um, that. Yeah. That's. That. Yeah. That is morally um, unacceptable. Uh, yeah. It, from 
Anand Seven was right. Kirk is a monster. Only a yeah. monster could give that order. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, at, now, at the end of the episode, after they take that off the table, there's some interesting rationalization that goes on on the back uh, back on the bridge where McCoy and Spock are talking to Kirk about his actions, and um, and Kirk um, says that an actual attack because he he broke their computer, and so they're mm-hmm. not talking about General Order Twenty Four any, anymore. They're talking about him breaking the computer. And and Kirk rationalizes that by saying, well, I broke the computer and an actual attack wouldn't have killed any more people than if they had if they do an actual attack. Now, mm-hmm. it's not going to kill any more people than one of their simulated attacks. The difference is it would end their ability to make war mm-hmm. because it'll destroy all their infrastructure. They won't be able to to make war after a devastating actual attack. So from that perspective, even this even what he did destroying the computer. Even if they don't make war, even if they don't make peace, I should say, it's it's going to end the war for them after just one attack that will kill no more people than their next simulated one right. would have anyway. And that's that's all reasonable, but just like Anon 7 is trying to be morally reasonable and he's talking about what will serve the greater morality, and Kirk's doing that too, and they both make the wrong decisions in the end. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, was it wrong to destroy the computer, or no? Wrong it's not, to not wrong to, to General Order Twenty Four. Wrong to General Order Twenty Four. These oh, okay. people. Okay, just yeah. want to be clear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that you would think that would be reserved more for like you know uh, this if the if this enemy comes and attacks the Federation, they will wipe out mm-hmm. the Federation. Therefore, this yeah. captain is in the position to stop it. Right. right, some some all powerful entity that they've encountered on a planet, you know, or you know, we which we've seen them run into mm-hmm. time and time again. Uh, yeah, that would be that would be make sense in that case, uh, but not here. So interesting. Yeah, you're right, Jimmy. You're right. That's it is monstrous. All right, so that is our discussion of the uh, Taste of Armageddon, and uh, we do have some listener feedback. This Yay. comes from our mm-hmm. recent discussion of Star Trek Insurrection. Uh, first comment comes from the Sage of Rakaseka on YouTube, who writes, What? You mean you guys didn't like the humorous writing for Data commenting on Riker's beardless face? Smooth as an android's, well, you know, the rest. Uh, I want to point out, I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> and in the episode, I did mention that I thought it was funny. But uh, so I don't, I, maybe you guys didn't, but I, I thought it was. I, I, I it, was it. it was cute. Yeah. <laughs> it was indifferent. Uh, I was indifferent to it. Okay. It's my sense of humor, mm-hmm. uh, so, which is pedestrian, I know, but it's still my sense of humor. Luis in Arizona writes uh, via email, listening to your recent episode regarding Star Trek Insurrection, I was reminded of a pet peeve of mine regarding Star Trek. As a former naval officer, it makes me hit the overhead. That's the ceiling to all you landlubbers. Whenever they refer to the captain's yacht, it's not a yacht. It's the captain's gig. The name goes all the way back to the British fleet. How they miss this is beyond me. Also, captains' gigs don't have names of their own. They simply bear the name of the vessel they're attached to. As such, the captain's gig for the USS Enterprise would simply say USS Enterprise, a minor annoyance in a franchise franchise I otherwise love. Well, okay, so let me play both Angel's Advocate and Devil's Advocate here. <laughs> Angel's Advocate, everything you said, I'm sure is absolutely true. Devil's Advocate, this is 400 years in the future. The Enterprise is a cruise ship. It is not a cruiser. A cruiser <laughs> is a military vessel. Yeah. This is a cruise ship. I mean, it has all these amenities on it that are way beyond what you would find on a cruiser. And as a naval officer, you you know what a cruiser is. 
So if uh, I understand, uh, if you think about what would happen to a captain's gig that is traveling on a cruise ship, it's going to effectively be upgraded to a captain's yacht. And, and also, you know, um, they, it's 400 years from now, they can give names to things and language changes. As, as one of the resident ship geeks, uh, Mm -hmm. I will mention, I'm sure that in a production meeting, somebody in the staff who probably was a naval veteran brought it up and someone said, we can't name it a gig. That sounds weird. Let's call it a yacht. That's a much cooler sounding name. Yeah. So that's that. As far as and, and naming, if, and, and if that person was from the south, they might have said and had not been a naval officer. It's like, yeah, a gig is what you use to kill frogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not good. We're not going gigging for frogs. Um, also, they started naming shuttles way back with the Galileo Seven. Mm. So you know, oh. the, naming the smaller auxiliary vessels. I was, I, I, wrong wrong the- shuttle. I was going to say they started naming shuttles way back with the Enterprise, the very mm-hmm. first training shuttle. Well, right, right. The yeah, the, the when you put them out of order of production, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I get it, but um, this is beyond a captain's gig. This is a much larger auxiliary vessel um, that that has yeah. So. And and in the post scarcity, splendiferous luxury twenty fourth <laughs> century, it's it it's going to be yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll just spare the whole argument of how this shouldn't be a Navy because they're not on the water. They're in space. Therefore, they're in air or above the air. And <laughs> no, they're not we'll in the air We'll scare all that argument. I said yeah. above the air. But it's a ship. Anyway. They, they uh, are the so space are aircraft. Fo- they so. are the space force. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they are space force. Um, yeah, we we could argue that Star Trek versus Stargate for a while. <laughs> and Air Force versus Army or Navy. Yes. Navy. Yes. Um Mark Gillies of 1970 on YouTube writes, I didn't like any of the next gen movies. I love the series, but probably will never watch any of the movies again. I think Patrick Stewart got too much control. He wanted to be the action hero and the movies had to focus on Picard kicking butt. That was not Mm. the Picard of the series and I didn't enjoy it in the movies. Picard, Data and the rest was how they handled the movies. Fan Picard and Data and the rest, I think, is how we mm-hmm. intended that. Mm-hmm. Uh, fan fiction idea: the story of a Federation mother whose son is dying and can only be saved by the regenerative powers of the rings of the Briar Patch. She's been told they're on the verge of having the cure, and then told they can't heal her child because space hippies need to live forever. The end. See, okay, See, this just shows the problem with a post-capitalist uh, society. See, a good capitalist society would set up, you know, things like resorts and spas on this planet, yes. and invite and the mother and the child to come to the planet and receive <laughs> the benefit of the rings. Yeah. Capitalism promotes uh, the common good by leveraging self-interest in, in into everybody's benefit. So <laughs> right. they have no incentive in a post-capitalist society yeah. to set up resorts for people who need to come and get healed right. by your fancy rings when there is scarcity of uh, resources i mean you've got a whole planet you could th- let the resort be on the other side of the planet from the hippies um so also, in other words insurrection yeah. would have been great if frankie were involved instead of the federation <laughs> yeah that actually would be amusing <laughs> well and um, there was a cut scene with uh with quark visiting their planet he should have been yeah. scouting it for health spa location <laughs> exactly um the, the on the the first point about uh, Patrick Stewart getting too much control in the yeah. next gen movies you know that might explain what happened to the first two seasons of the Picard series I was mm-hmm. just thinking that yeah yeah that this is the problem yes. once you get out of the main series is you got to renegotiate contracts and the actors who got big in mm-hmm. the first 
scripts in the original run of the series are going to bend things to their will in in negotiating going forward, or they're just going to say, I'm not showing up for this. Mm -hmm. Right. And that applies to all of the actors, but it especially applies to the ones who got the biggest, like like Patrick Stewart. And Shatner. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Um, Then our next comment comes from uh, Bo Beckwith on YouTube. He says, uh, uh, well, I'd much rather watch you guys talk about this movie than watch it again. Another great show, guys. Thank you, Bo. Oh, thank you. Uh, and then this next comment, is, there was a comment both on our episode 293 and episode 113. So our discussions of insurrection, but also Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Uh, E-Rock 5B commented, honestly, several odd numbered Star Trek movies are my favorites. Star Trek V is my favorite Trek film, period. I also really enjoy Star Trek 3. This one, uh, 5, is my favorite Trek movie and has been ever since I was a kid. My dad passed away several years ago, but we watched Star Trek together all the time when I was a kid. We laughed at all the dumb jokes in this movie, Star Trek 5. It's not the perfect film, but it means a lot to me. Hmm. I, 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 I respect that. You know, As yeah. I mentioned in our review, I, I saw this in the theater with my dad who later mm. passed away as well. So condolences. Yeah. As, as way back when we were talking about becoming Star Trek fans and I think our first episode, uh, I talked about how I got into Star Trek watching it with my dad in reruns. Mm. And so, you know, even like all of the original series stuff, even the cheesy episodes still mean something to me because they remind me of my dad who passed away last year. Uh, so I, I understand and agree, Iraq, you know, love what you love. Yep. I'm never against people loving what they love, even if I don't particularly like it. You know, you love what you love and there's, there's no shame in that. Uh, excellent. Thank you, everyone, for your feedback. We'd like to take a moment now to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Victoria K, James M, Jimmy T, Anthony K, and David R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us this time. What did you think of A Taste of Armageddon? Uh, we would go better with a little more salt. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can leave a comment and watch The Secrets of Star Trek in video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the um, animated series episode, Mud's Passion. Until then, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Well, thank you. I just got a text message saying that I've been declared a casualty, but <laughs> er- everybody else, live long and prosper. <laughs> oh, well, next time it'll be just Father Corey and I. Father Corey, yeah. thank you as well. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on Star Quest. And remember, the haggis is in the fire for sure. <laughs>